Don't talk about it, talk about it, just do it. Love one another, sister and brother. Don't hurt each other, yeah. All right, we are back into it here. Love one another. Yeah, I don't know the worship team thought that I had just gone completely crazy because that was, that's all ad lib. I mean, come on now. They did great, didn't they? They just kept playing like it was written. I mean, that's crazy. All right, love one another. Week five, and ready to finish out our first series of the year here. We save the hardest one another for last. We've talked about acceptance, uh, submission. That's a tough one. Comfort. And today let's talk about forgiveness, the most difficult action step in the long list of one another's. And just like all of the other ones, this one is only possible through Christ. Uh, the one another's don't work unless Christ lives in you and through you. And you could try to live out this lifestyle on your own strength, but you will quickly find that it's just not possible to succeed. Only through Jesus. Can you live and love this way? We are headed to Matthew chapter 6 this morning, and in the middle of the most famous sermon ever given is the most famous prayer ever prayed, and it will be our springboard for the message uh, that we go through this morning on forgiveness. In this passage in Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus is revealing how prayer works. And he said, prayer isn't just for show. It's not to be seen of men. Uh, prayer is not this vain chant that you just keep saying over and over and, and repeating things. Prayer uh, is an act of worship before the sovereign God in heaven. And uh, so let's read here in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse number 8. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for our Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespass, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, did you catch that in verse 12 and 14 and 15 there? Uh, there's a lot being said here about forgiveness. And in a legal sense, even though forgiveness is fully available, it is also conditional upon forgiving. And verses 14 and 15 back up this condition. Now, the reasoning here is simple. Uh, when anyone refuses to forgive another person, it's always because he's forgotten what he owes. Now, let's read a story that Jesus told later on in Matthew before we get deeper into the message, Matthew chapter 18. And let's read this passage as part of our introduction text here today. Matthew chapter 18. And we covered actually part of this passage earlier in the series. 
Uh, most of this chapter is about the way that we deal with hurts in our relationships. Look down at verse number 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, that I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after they had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldst thou not also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Now, this is a, such an interesting parable. And you think, why did the man in the parable decide to stick it to the guy who owed him less than $2. And what was up with that? Why did he have him thrown in prison for a couple bucks? Well, because he had apparently forgotten that he had been forgiven of 10,000 talents, an amount he could never hope to repay on his own. And so the principle from the Lord's Prayer is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that really is the foundation of forgiveness, which is the first part of our message this morning, the foundation of forgiveness. And the notes are in your bulletin. They're also on the YouVersion app if you'd like to follow along. The foundation of forgiveness. Uh, in the Lord's Prayer that we just read, we're asking God uh, to forgive us because we know that God is the only one with the power to forgive sin. Move with me now to Matthew chapter 9, and we'll investigate this topic of forgiveness in the Scriptures before we come uh, out with the great application that Jesus gives us on this issue. So in Matthew chapter 9, this event's taking place in Capernaum, close to where Jesus grew up, and some men bring in this palsied guy before Jesus, and let's read about it here, Matthew chapter 9. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man, sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. 
And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether is easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say arise and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, go into thine own house. And he arose and departed to his house. And so Jesus, who is God, we've been talking about that in John 1, Jesus, who is God, has the power to forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. Without God's mercy, there is no mercy, right? And mercy is the greatest proof of God. It it is the greatest proof of God. Uh, Without God and his mercy, we would have the survival of of the fittest that you hear about all the time and the judgment with no mercy. Uh, But we do have God's mercy, and you can pass along God's mercy to others. But you don't have any power to offer mercy on your own. It is a divine right. And uh, even though we can't fully understand this power, we can believe in this power. Look at verse 8. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. And so the foundation of forgiveness is this. Mercy belongs to God. He is the source of forgiveness for us. He's the one who empowers us to forgive others. But you know, it's easy to forget how much we owe and and to clutch the power of forgiveness as our own like the guy did in Jesus' parable. And so this gets into the next part, which is the flow of forgiveness. The second part of the message, the flow of forgiveness. One of my favorite verses is found in Micah 6.8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And, And truly, Most people do love mercy for themselves, right? But who doesn't love mercy for themselves? Forgiveness for me, awesome. Uh, Forgiveness for someone who has wronged me, terrible, right? You want to take away all my debts? That's incredible. What good news. You want to take away all the debts of the one who committed a crime against me? Not so much. If you've ever experienced this, you are what is called human. This is really the forgiveness dilemma. If forgiveness is dependent on human effort, it will always fail. It always will. Loving mercy for self is possible. It's even expected. Loving mercy for everyone is impossible. It can't be done with any level of consistency. We've all tried it before and failed. It's like, well, I don't mind if he's forgiven after he spends the next 20 years in jail, right? I don't mind if she's forgiven after she loses everything and has to live in a homeless shelter, right? Loving mercy is a high ideal. But when it's tried under human strength, the flow of that forgiveness is conditional uh, upon however we feel that particular day. And that's because somehow 
we try to balance forgiveness with deserving, right? We've balanced forgiveness with deserving. And those two things don't belong in the same sentence. Deserving and forgiveness just don't go together. They never do. And when we bring deserving into the picture, it immediately stops the flow of mercy. Now, logically, this just makes sense, right? You're like, well, I'm going to forgive this person as soon as they deserve it, right? That's the logical progression in this. Uh, but when we bring deserving in, it stops the flow of mercy. And several months ago, I was already in the office one morning, and Amy called me and said, we don't have any water. And I very eloquently replied, well, that's weird. And, and so I went home uh, to look at things, and, and when I got there, sure enough, there was no water. <laughs> I do have a very smart wife. She figured out we don't have water. So I, I went down to the pump room. And started looking at the equipment, which I've never worked on before. And I started pushing all the reset buttons I could find and taking covers off and hitting pipes and nothing. And I went uh, back upstairs and threw the breakers on the well and turned them back on, nothing. I went back down and checked levers and touched pipes again. Then I hit the reset button again. And all of a sudden, I heard water pumping into the tank. And so I went up, and I opened some faucets, and water came a-chugging, and, and we were all excited. Uh, but I had no idea why the water stopped in the first place. And it just so happened that same week, our neighbors had to replace their well, their well pump. And it cost like $5,000. And so there were some mixed emotions going on. We have water. Hooray. We may lose water. Not Hooray. And so sure enough, a couple days later in the morning, I was in the office, and Amy called, there's no water. And this time I believed her. I didn't even have to go check. Uh, I, w I went home, and I go down in the pump room again, and I start messing with all the gadgets, do all the crazy stuff I did before. I held wires and tried to find water like the old guys did. I did a rain dance. Um, still no water. Finally, and this is very hard for a Dutchman to do, I broke down and called the plumber. <laughs> it's very hard. Uh, and so he shows up, and he goes down to the well room with me. He said, this is the, this is the well room? Yeah. This is your box? Yeah. And so he looks at the box, and then he bends over and, and touches this wire on the pressure switch, and all of a sudden I heard water flood into the tank. And then he reached down with his screwdriver, and he tightened the screw, and then he walked out of my house. He was in the house for less than two minutes, but the Dutchman still paid for the full hour. And one loose little wire stopped the flow for the whole house. Now, that's how it is with the flow of forgiveness. When it depends on me and you, one tiny grudge here, one hardened heart there, one little ounce of bitterness, and the flow of mercy stops dead in its tracks. James 2.13 says it this way, For he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. Now, you've probably heard somebody say this before. Maybe you've said it yourself. I'm just not able to forgive her for this. 
I'm just not able to forgive him for that. And the admission is important. You aren't able to forgive. But please don't miss the big truth here. You aren't ever able to forgive. You don't have the power to do it. If forgiveness depends upon you and me, it will be blocked. It will fail again and again. Now, nobody likes the idea of selective justice, unless he or she is the one doing the selecting, right? Uh, When people who come up with laws don't have to follow the laws they come up with, the people who do follow the laws aren't really that excited, right? When you investigate and charge your enemies, but your loved ones and friends and supporters skate right on through, you don't have credibility on justice. Selective justice is rotten. It's dirty. It feels so banana republic. But so does selective forgiveness. I'll forgive the people of my choosing, but not those people. I'll forgive the people who agree with my ideology, but not the other side. And picking and choosing doesn't work in justice or forgiveness. Now, thank God, he holds the power on both, and we don't. Jesus is this amazing mixture, balance, full of grace and also full of truth. Uh, Unfortunately, in our world today, even the most unbiased people still have biases. We just do. It's part of humanity. Uh, And uh, when the flow of forgiveness is controlled by people, forgiveness fails. It fails every single time. And there's so many uh, cases and pictures of turmoil in our world today uh, where we're at odds with each other and ideology. And up in Canada, even today, there's this big procession of of 50,000 trucks that has made its way to the capital in Ottawa uh, to protest a mandate up in Canada. And uh, the prime minister has been uh, hidden away from the turmoil, uh, even though he's the one who basically has caused it. And there's all this upheaval that goes on in the world when we try to select uh, who gets justice and who doesn't, and who gets forgiveness and who doesn't, and who gets accepted and who doesn't. Now, let's confirm this in another passage now as we're talking about this third part, the faith for forgiveness. And go with me to Luke chapter 17, the faith for forgiveness. Now, we read earlier in Matthew 18 uh, about this hypothetical situation that Peter brought up to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, how often shall my brother sin and I forgive him? Seven times? Should that work? And Peter thought he was being extra merciful with the seven times. Right? He's like, seven times? Who would forgive more than seven times? Jesus, like, how about seven times? And Jesus said, no, not seven times. Seventy times seven. And just if you haven't done math in a while, that's a bigger number, right? Like a lot bigger number. And when Jesus advanced his 70 times 7 philosophy to
to the disciples. They knew the task was insurmountable. Uh, now, I need a couple helpers here. Uh, let's uh, come on up. Uh, sure, you can help me. Um, Julian, are you back there? Come on up here, Julian. We're going to act like you two are brothers for a second here. All right? I know it's going to be hard to imagine these two would act like brothers. They've never gotten into a discussion. Now, who wants to be, how old are you? How old are you? Oh, you're the younger brother. Okay. Now, younger brothers are known to be pests. You know what I'm saying? Even though older brothers sometimes are pests too. Right? Sometimes the older brother instigates the younger brother to pest the older brother. It's just kind of this weird dynamic. And how do you know? Well, because I was the older brother. I was the oldest brother. In fact, I didn't have any other brothers. I had four little sisters. Yeah. You hear the groans in the audience? Uh, it's just such a difficult life. But we're going to take, uh, you're the younger one? All right, we're going to take the younger one, and uh, he's going to go like this to his brother, okay? Don't wait, just once, just once, just once, just once. Okay, and then he's going to say, sorry. Sorry. And now you have to say, I forgive you. Now do it again. Wait, just once. <laughs> you can see how this got to 490, <laughs> I mean, this moved quick. So he hits him again. Now say sorry. Now what do you say? Now do it again. Say it again. Now do it again. Say it again. We're only up to four. Right? Does anyone understand how impossible this is? I guarantee you in real life, by the time we get to five, his nose has blood running out of it, okay, guaranteed. And he's sitting on him with his arms pinned down and making him cry uncle or whatever word you have to cry in, in this modern age. Thanks, guys. You did a great job. But uh, the task really is insurmountable. Now, we're going to find out how insurmountable here in Luke 17. Okay, look at Luke 17, verse number 1. Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. Now, Jesus says this. The God of the impossible says this. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, be planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Now, here are the disciples. When they heard the law of forgiveness laid out by Jesus, they immediately asked Jesus to increase their faith. Now, most people don't realize that when Jesus talked about 
having the faith of a grain of mustard seed, faith that would pluck up this giant sycamore tree and move it to the sea. When he talked about that, it was about the impossible task of forgiveness. The disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith over the act of forgiveness. Why? Well, we read in Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, without faith, it is impossible to forgive one another. Is there any task in the human experience more difficult to complete than forgiveness? I'm guessing the disciples didn't think that there was. And not sure where you land on this, but I would assume that most people find forgiveness to at least be in the top 10 of difficult human tasks, especially when you consider forgiving the same person for the same thing time after time. Peter said, Jesus, I'm throwing out my large level of mercy here. I feel like I'm being extremely benevolent with this idea. If I forgive him seven times, that'll do, right? Jesus blows Peter out of the water. Start with 490, Peter, and then go from there. Now, if you're focused on what the other guy owes, it's because you've forgotten how much you owe. And at that, Peter and all the rest of the disciples groan within themselves and say, Lauren, if that's the case, you're going to have to increase our faith because we can't do this. So let me ask you, have you ever asked Jesus to increase your faith for forgiveness? It's not a request that often comes to the forefront of our minds, right? But it looks scripturally like it should be. You can just imagine the disciples had so many questions in their hearts. But Jesus, what if he does this to me? What if he says this? What if he deserves to be punished? What if justice needs to be done? You know, Jesus had already introduced the topic in a most abrupt fashion. We read this, but look back at verse number one. Just, just let it hit us. Jesus said, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through who they were come. Now look, look what he says about it. He says, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea then that he should offend one of these little ones. Jesus talks about someone hurting a child, which I think most people would agree is as horrible of a crime as there could possibly be. Woe unto him through whom the offense comes. It were better that are hanged by the neck and cast in the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. Judgment, punishment, vengeance, they belong to God. As the author of Hebrews notes, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Vengeance is the duty of God. And what is our duty? Well, verse 3, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. If he repent, forgive him. And if he trespasses against these seven times in a day, and says he repents, you got to forgive him. Now that brings us to the final part of our message, and really the application phase, the most important part. Let's talk about the face of forgiveness. 
the face of forgiveness. We've already seen the scriptural proof that if forgiveness depends on me, there isn't even a whisper of a hope that it'll work. The only one with the power to forgive sin is God, who sent his only son Jesus to the cross. And you remember, Jesus is on the cross, and what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in real time, Jesus forgave those who had nailed him to the cross. In real time, he forgave the sins of those who had put him there, including yours and mine. His forgiveness came before there was any repentance. Right? There was nobody out in that audience who was yelling, Jesus, forgive me right now. There was a guy on a cross next to him who did. But everybody else, you know, they were yelling, crucify him. Not everybody, but a lot of them. Yelling, crucify him. And their sins had placed him on the cross. And yet, before they repented, he forgave. As 1 John says, we love him because he first loved us. And thankfully, forgiveness is a gift that comes with the immeasurable love of God. Now, let's, let's view this difficult one another through a different lens as we finish up today. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians uh, has already shown us by the time we get to chapter 4 that grace is a gift. Uh, Ephesians 2 tells us, For by grace are you saved through faith. Uh, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't earn grace. You can't earn salvation. There are no deserving candidates for salvation by grace. Every single person is undeserving. Now, as we go into Ephesians 4, uh, we see the same line of thinking on forgiveness. Forgiveness has nothing to do with deserving. It is a gift. And once you receive it, you are given the power to offer it to others. Look at Ephesians 4.32. Probably already know this verse, or you've heard it before. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Forgiving someone else is a reflection of God forgiving me. For Christ's sake. Now, God didn't forgive me because of me. God didn't forgive you because of you. And, and you don't forgive me because of me. And I don't forgive you because of you. It's all for Christ's sake. Now, the gift of eternal life and the gift of forgiveness are packaged only in Christ. The loving mercy doesn't rest on my capacity to love or forgive. It rests on Christ's capacity to love and forgive. Now, wow, that's, that's a breakthrough, isn't it? I offer forgiveness only through receiving Jesus' gift of forgiveness. Forgiveness is releasing a debt that is owed. In a legal way, you only release the debt one time and it's forgiven. But in an emotional way, you may have to release the debt every single day for years of your life. And that doesn't mean that you have to call the person every day and release the debt. But you may have to do it in your own heart. 
You may for days and weeks and months and years have to say, I release you from the debt because Jesus has released me from all my debts. Forgiveness is the cure for anger and bitterness. But it's not a drive through pharmacy cure. It is a daily exercise of faith cure in Christ. And your conversation to God might go like this for a long time. God, there is no way I feel like forgiving that person for what he did, for what she did. But when I remember the gift of forgiveness you have given me through Jesus, I trust that you will give me strength once again to release the debt. And then you pray, God, guard my heart from bitterness. Because bitterness is so deceptive. Your heart tells you that you are emotionally punishing somebody who hurt you. When actually you're just wounding yourself even more. Now listen, you don't forgive because of yourself. Or because of the person who hurt you. You forgive because of Jesus. But that brings us to the faith challenge for today. If you're struggling with forgiveness, run back to the cross. <clears throat> and when you get there, look up at the face of Jesus as he carries the weight of all sin on his shoulders. See his sorrow as he wails out to his father, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it's because God's holiness cannot abide with sin. And watch as he pays the price for every sin you've ever done. Listen as he calls out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let your heart be affected by his words as he groans in his spirit and utters three final words. It is finished. The miracle of forgiveness is already finished. And now it's a gift. To be able to offer it, first you have to receive it. So run back to the cross. Forgiveness is already taken care of by Jesus Christ. You do not have to carry the burden of forgiveness anymore. He's already taken care of it for you. And because of what Jesus did for Christ's sake, now we can say, hey, you don't deserve forgiveness. You don't. Neither do I. None of us deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve it. There's nothing you can do to deserve forgiveness. They don't belong in the same sentence. But for Christ's sake, I forgive. For Christ's sake, we forgive. And all of the one another's come back to this model of Jesus saying, love one another because I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. And forgiveness is no exception. It's a beautiful expression of what Jesus has done for us. And forgiveness is the only avenue for release of anger, bitterness, and grudges. Uh, and usually for jealousy and guilt as well. Forgiveness is huge. Some people, you know what, what, why some people carry so much guilt? Because they refuse to forgive themselves. 
right? They think, I don't deserve to be forgiven. And folks, you don't. Nobody does. But Jesus paid for all of that on the cross. And now he offers to us this ability, this superhuman ability, this miraculous ability to forgive. And it only comes through him. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for the truth that's in it. And Lord, we've all been hurt by other people. We've all hurt other people. None of us deserve forgiveness. We never will. We never can. But through Jesus Christ, you offer forgiveness to the whole human race, and you for offer forgiveness to the one and others in our lives. The people who have cause the deepest wounds and the deepest sorrows in our lives. Today, as we consider that, help us to remember that they will never deserve to be forgiven. And yet, still, for Christ's sake, we can forgive because of the death that you have paid for us. You are such a good God, and we love you, and we praise you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.